I guess that means you're not going to show my picture on the screen, huh? It's probably a good move. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, for those of you that uh, have never experienced a sermon series, we're going to begin a sermon series today for the season of Lent, and this will take us through uh, Easter. And for those of you that have experienced a sermon series before, what does that mean if if we're going to begin a sermon series today? What does that mean about the first one? Come on. Long. Long, exactly. So just settle back. See that? You're already conditioned. We're going to begin a sermon series today, and the sermon series is going to be on a very unusual subject if you've ever heard me preach, and the subject is actually the topic of miracles. And it's an unusual topic because it's not something that in our culture that we talk about frequently. In fact, when you hear the term miracles, depending upon your predisposition, most likely if you have a Western mindset, that is to say, a mindset where you've been encultured, raised in a university mindset, encultured in a scientific age, you hear the word miracle and you immediately discount the thought. Did you think, eh, probably not. If you've been raised in the church, maybe a miracle is a possibility. But most likely, if you've been raised in the church, you think, maybe during biblical times. Probably not today. And most of the miracles that we hear about today, probably a scam. Probably someone that, is putting people on, maybe trying to do fundraising. Or if you yourself have experienced a miracle, then it's within your realm. You're more likely to believe that miracles are possible. You have someone in your family, a friend, that you trust, therefore you're more likely to believe in miracles. And so, in this congregation right now, we have people all over the place. Because in our scientific age, people are less likely to believe and at least are skeptical of miracles. Because it just doesn't happen. And in fact, if you're one of those that are in the category of miracles may have happened during the biblical age, but they don't happen now, there's actually a title for people like you. You're called a dispensationalist. I don't know if you knew that. But it's interesting because we do have people all over the place. And it's interesting also that when I first arrived in this diocese, and I was getting to know different people in the diocese, I came across a guy, this was over 20 years ago, and somehow we got on this topic of talking about miracles. And he said to me, I don't believe in miracles. And I said, really? Really? 
And he said, no, I really don't. You know, and he was probably brought up in a seminary, brought through a seminary, where he was taught to not believe in miracles. Because, believe it or not, many of the seminaries teach that the miracles didn't happen. You know, once again, it's that whole Western mindset, scientific mindset. You know, we don't really believe in miracles. We're a scientific age. And so I said, well, what about the resurrection? He said, well, I can't give that one up. And I said, well, if you believe in the resurrection, what's the, what's the problem with the other ones? You know, once you believe in the resurrection, the other ones are kind of easy. And it's because he recognized... See, there's someone that recognizes it right there. <laughs> because he recognized 1 Corinthians 15 says that if Christ was not raised, then our faith is in vain. And yet there are people in the church today, and more than a few, who teach that the body, bodily resurrection of Christ did not happen. And there's more and more people in the church that are saying, well, Jesus isn't really God anyway. That Jesus is really more about God consciousness or being a good, a good person. You know, and that we all need to be like Jesus. See, we're really, if you understand miracles, miracles are about the kingdom of God breaking into this world. Miracles, by definition, are, in fact, rare. If they weren't rare, they wouldn't be called miracles, right? They would be called normal. I mean, that's what we need to understand. That the natural is, in fact, the natural. There are natural laws. If you understand where science came from in the first place, it's because that most of the scientists, as we understand science in the Western world, the educated world, they were actually Christians who believed in the natural laws, that God was an orderly God, that in fact when God ordered creation, the word cosmos means order, that they believed God was an orderly God who created laws that ordered things, and that they were trying to discover God's natural laws, His order, and miracles were His supernatural, His kingdom, breaking into His world because He had a purpose for them. That He was trying to say something. That He was trying to intervene for a reason. And that sometimes he even used natural means to reveal himself. If you really understand miracles, that it wasn't always even the miraculous. For example, when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness and they were hungry, God used the wind to blow quail into their camp. Now it happened to be a bunch of quail and the timing happened to be miraculous that it was that kind of number 
and it happened to be at that time. So there was a miracle involved of sorts. But see, that's the way we Westerners like to think. Well, it just happens to be coincidence that that happened that way. But really, when God intervenes in a miraculous way, there's no coincidence about it. Because God does that. Miracles are, in fact, rare. That's the nature of miracles, or at least they're very infrequent. If you add up the totality of the number of miracles in Scripture, all the different books of Scripture, miracles don't happen in every book in Scripture. And they don't happen all the time if you consider the whole of history. That's why they're miracles. That's why they're rare. They didn't happen in every era, in every age. If you add up the number of miracles that Jesus himself did, I know you probably have never done that. Weird people like me do that. Now, we don't know the total number because at times... Scripture talks about healings. And there are duplication of miracles, like the resurrection that happened in all four Gospels, and the feeding of the 5,000 happened in all four Gospels. But there are 28 different miracles, approximately, that Jesus did. How many years was Jesus alive in total, approximately? 33, 30, some people say 30, some people say 33. How many years did he do his public ministry? Three, right? So, 28 miracles approximately. Would you consider that frequent? No. Not in total. Not in the big scheme of things. Frequent for you. But remember, He's the Lord of creation. See, and that's the way that we need to begin to think about miracles. And he did it for a reason. He wanted to show that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. He wanted to reveal that he was the Messiah. In fact, we already heard the reading earlier this month about, he read from Isaiah, Isaiah 42. And then he closed the book. This was in his hometown. And he said, The Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And it was the promise of the Messiah. And it was about the blind seeing and the lame walking and prisoners being set free. And he said, This has been fulfilled. In other words, a Messianic prophet, he's the Messiah. He's come into the world. These miracles were about him. Later on, when John the Baptist was questioning because he was in prison, Are you the one? Should we wait for somebody else? Pointing to the Messiah, and he says, Go tell them these things are happening. The kingdom of heaven has come. The Messiah has come. It's pointing to me. So these miracles are important because they point to the Messiah. The nature of miracles, in fact, they are rare. The nature of miracles in Jesus' life are that they point to the kingdom of God coming, they point to the Messiah. But it wasn't the purpose of Jesus' ministry 
just to do miracles. In fact, if you go to Mark 1, Jesus, early in His ministry, He heals Peter's mother-in-law. The next day, He's out in the morning early praying. The apostles come to Him and say, people are looking for you. Why did you think that people were looking for Him? Because He's healed people. And what does He say? I must go preach and teach. I must go proclaim, for that is why I came. The miracle reveals that the kingdom of heaven has come. The miracle reveals that the Messiah has come. But the reason that I did that is that validates who I am. Now I need to proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come. It's the Word of God that will transform lives. The Holy Spirit working in your heart, in your life, because the greatest miracle that can happen to you is your conversion because it changes your eternal destiny. That's the greatest miracle. That's what God wants for you. That's what's critical. It's so important to understand that. Miracles are supernatural. They don't happen every day. But they happen for a reason. They happen because God sees an opportunity to bring belief. That's what the end of the passage points to. If you see in John chapter 2, and his disciples believe in him. They announce the kingdom of God has broken in. And then it brings belief because that's the point. That's the purpose. That's what Jesus is trying to say. If you really catch what goes on with all of these miracles, let me just point something out to you if you've never thought about this before. In this particular miracle that we're about to look at, the water, notice I said we're about to look at. We haven't gotten there yet, by the way. Okay, just so you're aware. Jesus turns the water into wine. What happens to the wine? It gets drunk and then it's gone. It's not still around, right? Keep that in mind. What happens to the people that Jesus heals? They're dead. Keep that in mind. What happens to Lazarus who he raises from the dead? He's dead. I'm not trying to be a pessimist here, okay, or negative. What am I pointing out? Those miracles aren't about something in this world, for this world, for all eternity. Those miracles have a shelf life in this world that are meant to do something for eternity. That's why they happen. Because God has an ultimate goal. And it's not for this world. That's why miracles happen. And notice what this passage also says towards the end. It's the first of his signs. What does a sign do? points to something. It points to Jesus being the Messiah. 
And not even all of his apostles are there to our knowledge because in John 1 it doesn't say all of them are there. It just points out to some of them being there. It's the first of his signs because he's going to reveal more and more of himself to more of his apostles, to more disciples as his ministry unfolds. This is the first of his signs. Now, we're actually going to begin the passage now. But there's one other thing I want to point out. How many of you were here a month ago? Nathan was preaching. Quite a number of you. Do you remember he preached on this passage? Okay, good. just want to point that out. I wrote this sermon series before Nathan preached. Okay? Just so you know that, this came up in the lectionary, but I had written my sermon series before this. So, if you notice so far, I haven't mentioned much of what Nathan mentioned. Because there's a different purpose to this sermon. You may have already caught that. This is laying the foundation for the sermon series on miracles. Now we're actually going to get into the passage. First of all, why did Jesus perform this miracle? Nathan did a great job of setting this passage up when he talked about the whole wedding thing in the ancient Near East. That weddings weren't just one day, one evening, that it was a week-long event. And families had a hard time planning for a week-long wedding where the whole family and the whole town was invited. You know how we do weddings, right? We pick our list. And we limit the list, right? That was very difficult to do during this time. Because you don't know who's going to be in town at the time. And you don't know all who is going to come at the time. And for example, Jesus shows up and he's got friends that they weren't counting on. And some of those friends are fishermen. And fishermen had a reputation. For better or for worse. They drink. Right? I had friends like that when I was in high school and college. They drank. They partied. You probably had friends like that too. Right? And so at some point, they were running out of wine. And Jesus' mom noticed it. And she was moved by it. And she tried to get Jesus moved by it. Miracles happen because God is moved by it. That's why miracles happen. God sees an opportunity to bring faith, to bring belief, to transform lives, and He's moved by the need. Now, the big scheme of things, we look at this and we say, really? God got moved by People running out of wine? Because if you were having a wedding reception and you were running out of something to drink, what would you do? Party's over. Y'all drank too much. Time to leave. That's what I would have done. I've had two weddings in my family. I've had my son and my daughter get married so far. And if they would have finished everything we had, trust me, 
They were gone. But see, in this situation, there was more involved. Because of the rules of the ancient Near East and hospitality, shame. And shame was huge. It would have followed both families and it would have followed this couple into their early married life. And the pressure would have been enormous and the stress. And we know what stress does to a marriage today. And so Jesus' mother was moved by that. We don't know what role she was playing or whether she was a relative or whether she was the wedding planner. We have no idea. But she was moved. And so she moved her son. And it was his compassion. What moves you? What moves you? We see so much that sometimes we're hardened. Think about what you see on the news on a regular basis. And sometimes we're just not moved anymore. The poverty, the crime, and people killed, and the relationships around us that are falling apart, And you know what's amazing? What moves people today? Think about the Super Bowl commercials. Puppies and monkeys and babies. That's why they threw them all into one commercial? And Hallmark commercials. When we are struggling, no matter what the struggle is, think about it. We want someone to be moved. And that's what's going on. We want someone to notice. Because most of the people were probably unaware. And most of the people around you, when you're struggling with something, they're unaware. Either because you're a private person and you're hiding it, and there's the family secrets, or they just don't notice. Or people aren't moved by it. But we want someone to be moved when we're struggling with something. Six stone jars. Nathan mentioned about this too, that they weren't clay jars because clay jars, they they get dirty and they deteriorate. But stone jars are different. Notice they weren't silver or gold either. They weren't terribly valuable. They were common. They weren't expensive. And God takes what is uncommon. 
He makes this common thing and he makes it uncommon. He makes it extraordinary. And that's what he wants to do with us. We are common. He wants to make us extraordinary. Not like the rest of the world. Not like the culture. Transform us and transform our situation. But He wants to take away our shame. Just like He would take this couple's shame away. The well-laid plans that they could not foresee what was going to happen. You know, I don't know how many of you have well-laid plans that sometimes just get messed up. Because we're just short-sighted. You know what I mean by that? This is not about just sin. This is about just, we're not perfect. I sometimes have areas of perfectionism. Do you, are you like that? And, and this is not always about sin. It's just about, you know, not getting it right. Now, I wasn't going to say this, but I, uh, just a few weeks ago, I was, I was trimming this big branch right over my roof, right over a skylight. And, and it worked perfectly. It really did. It swung down, didn't come right off. It swung down, and I'm thinking, this is great. And it came off and it landed gently on the roof. And I'm thinking, I did it. And it rolled over and popped the skylight. And I just stood there and said, I can't believe it. Uh, It went perfect until that. I just couldn't foresee that that was going to happen. Because we're not perfect. God deals with us in our imperfections. And God deals with us in our sin. Just like the very first couple. See, they had shame for a different reason. Because they did sin. Because they too were imperfect. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short. We fall short in a variety of ways. This couple fell short because they didn't plan well. Adam and Eve fell short because they said, we all fall short. And God wants to deal with our imperfections because we all fall short. And cover our shame. And cover our imperfection. And deal with our shortcomings. And make us whole. And so He washes us. From creation, the wine, which signifies his provision, his abundance. The wine that signifies his blood, washing us from our sin. That he's Lord over creation, that he's Lord over redemption. To transform us. And it's abundance. Notice the abundance. I love that. 
Six stone jars, 20 to 30 gallons each. 120 to 180 gallons. Joe, how many bottles? Huh? 900? 75 cases of wine. The best wine, how much is that going to run you? How much? How much? <laughs> Joe used to deal with wine. You used to, though, right? Let's say, let's say what, twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars? Yeah. See, we don't think like this. Joe didn't know I was going to ask him that. That's why I wasn't ready. But I saw him sitting over there. I thought I'm going to ask Joe. God's provision. I didn't spend that much on my children's weddings. Total. Abundance. God's provision. God is extravagant. And that's why he sent his son. Because of his extravagant love for us. I just love his provision for us. And it's the best. He takes what's common. He takes what's ordinary. He takes what's used for washing away dirt and grime. And he makes the best. And he uses it for joy and celebration. You know, there's two coincidences that I just happened to choose this passage. The first I already pointed out that Nathan preached on this a month ago. You know, the other thing about coincidences, how many here watch NCIS? Gibbs says there are no such things as coincidences. I believe that. But the other is that this is Valentine's Day, right? This is Valentine's Day. And, you know, I think our country just really doesn't get love. Do you ever think about that? Our country really... What, when you think of Valentine's Day and how our country thinks of Valentine's Day, what does it think about Valentine's Day? It's about romance and happiness and feeling good and pleasure and, you know, material things and all that stuff. And bottom line for a lot of it, lust, right? It really is. If you think about it. It's where a lot of people are driving at. You know what moves God here and with all the miracles? It's compassion. That's a completely different kind of love, isn't it? It's compassion. God's kind of love is a kind of love that reaches out. It's a kind of love that reaches down. And our kind of love often doesn't reach out or reach down. See, because we want love that reaches us. And God wants to reach us. That's why He sent His Son.
God wants to reach us. And sometimes he'll go to the length of miracles to reach us. You know, the danger of miracles is, number one, we can expect them. And when we don't get them, we get angry. When we forget, sometimes that's not. That's not what faith is about, is demanding a miracle. What God wants for us and from us is trust. To understand that he loves us and he knows what's best for us. Did you catch the Old Testament passage from 1 Samuel? That God knows better than we know. That God sees better than we see. Because God looks at the heart and he knows what's best for us. He knows the long term. He knows the big picture. We don't always see. He sees. And he knows what's best. The second is we sometimes lose sight when we are granted what we're given. And we've got to fix our eyes on him and not on what we're given. You know what's interesting is when the Israelites were given the miracles and they were delivered from Egypt, they go out into the wilderness, God gives them a provision, Moses goes up, gets the Ten Commandments, and what do they do? They make a golden calf. They forgot what the purpose of the miracles and the deliverance was all about. Jesus feeds the 5,000, John 6. Goes across the Sea of Tiberias, is on the other side. They follow him. Why? Jesus says, because you got your bellies full. You misunderstand the point of the miracle. The point of the miracle is so you grow in a deeper relationship with the Lord. The point of the miracle is that you understand God's love more and more. The point of the miracle is so that you learn to trust Him, no matter what His provision is. And sometimes it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. Sometimes it's hard. I started learning about this early in my life. Some of you have heard this story before, and forgive me if you have, but... My youngest sister is about to turn 55 in 10 days. And she is what we called in the 60s, I know some of you get offended by this language, she is what we called in the 60s mentally retarded. Now we call mentally disabled or mentally handicapped. But when she was two years old, the doctor said, we're not sure if she's ever going to walk and We were a good Catholic family, and so my parents decided that we would take her to a shrine. So we took her to a shrine, and we lit candles, and we drank from the grotto, and dipped her in, and we took her home, and she started walking, which the doctors could not explain. And we were ecstatic. But I remember as a six, seven-year-old kid saying, Lord, that is really great, but you didn't finish the job. She's still retarded. 
because I really didn't understand. And what I came to realize later is that was really more about me because I was embarrassed. Talk about shame. And what I realized later is that she had more joy and peace and love than most people I knew. And how we pity people like that. And what's also amazing is, over the past four or five years, both of my parents have died. And if you were to talk to my young sister, Beth, she'd say, you'd ask her, how are you doing, Beth? I'm fine. Where are mom and dad? They're in heaven. Simple faith. Total trust in the Lord. Isn't that what God wants for us? The love and the joy and the peace and the simple faith. And we want the kind of miracle that we want, when we want, how we want sometimes. Because we don't always see as God sees. And that's why God just wants us to trust him. Because his kind of love is the love that reaches out and reaches down. Because his provision is one that goes to a cross. And then points to eternal life. Because he has something eternal in mind. And so as we look at the miracles, we're going to come to know his character and his purposes a little more. Who he is and what his eternal desire is for us. Let's pray. Lord God, so often we want what we want when we want it. Even with you. We demand. We get frustrated and angry and disappointed. Lord, I pray this day for those who may not know you that they would come to understand the depth of your love and the gift of your Son and the power of your Holy Spirit and that you have an ultimate desire for us that we would spend eternity with you. And for those of us that know you, Lord, that we might come to trust you more and more as we walk this, this journey through Lent and come to Easter. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.